Now let's turn to God's word in John chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now some of your translations will have uh, more at the end of verse 3 and a verse 4, which was really not in the original texts, and all the Bibles will footnote uh, that. Um, And we'll come back to study that later. I'll pick up in reading in verse uh, 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, You are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Heavenly Father, help us to look to you and what you have done through the Lord Jesus Christ to reconcile us to yourself and meet our deepest need forgiveness for our sin. Help us to want to get well spiritually and not look to you only for the here and now needs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Do you want to be healed? It seems like an obvious question. Of course, this man would. Of course, we do. Let's break it down into two parts. Do you want to get well physically? Of course we do. Do you want to get well spiritually? Say what? What does that mean? I'm not crazy about putting uh, on the marquee of the church a little blurb to summarize a sermon because it's without the context, it... Uh, probably wouldn't communicate well. Can you imagine if this morning I had out on the, uh, the church marquee the sermon title, Stop Sinning. 
preached by the greatest preacher that ever walked this earth, Jesus himself. And then the follow-up is, or something worse will happen to you. (laughs) What? But that's what Jesus said. Where is this coming from? Let me just put uh, an illustration with three related parts before you. Suppose you're in your home, upstairs in your office or wherever you would use, at your desk, trying to pay your bills and you see your bank balance and you see the bills and it just seems hopeless. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Perhaps some of you are there now. Most of us have been there at some point uh, in time. It's a big problem, isn't it? But all of a sudden, there's a bang and a crash at the window, and, and a fire ladder, a fire truck ladder crashes through, and a fireman uh, pokes his head through the window and says, Your kitchen's caught on fire. It's spreading through the hole downstairs. Come, you've got to get out of here. Would you say, Well, if you really cared about me, you'd help me pay these bills? Or in another area of life, suppose you're sick upstairs in that bed and you're just struggling, you're just tired of being sick, you're, you've got fever, it's, it's painful, you're, you're, you don't know if you're going to get well, you don't know how severe it is and, and that fire ladder crashes through your window, the fireman's head pokes in and says, your kitchen's on fire, the whole house is burning, you've got to get out of here. Would you say, if you really cared about me, you'd just give me some medicine to help me get well? You begin to see the pattern and get the point. Another area of life where we have great difficulty. Husband and wife are upstairs in their bedroom. They're just having a knockdown, drag out fight. And it's looking like their relationship's on the brink. And, and it, it's a terrible circumstance, right? When relationships are broken like that. Fire ladder crashes through the window. Fireman pokes his head and says, your kitchen caught on fire. It spread through the hole downstairs. Come on, you got to get out of here. He said, if you really cared about me, you'd tell him to start loving me better. You'd tell her to be supportive of what I say. That's what really is going on in my life. Why don't you talk about something that's relevant? What's more relevant than the kitchen's on fire. It's spread through the whole house. You got to get out of here. And yet when we come to church and we look to God, we ask, is this relevant? Here's where I'm struggling. I'm struggling to pay my bills. I'm struggling with this health, this illness. I'm struggling in my relationships. And yeah, 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 you talk about sin and forgiveness and salvation. What Jesus is saying when he says, or something worse may happen to you, it's spelled with four letters in the Bible. What are they? H-E-L-L. We, our greatest need is to be reconciled to God. And we get so used to thinking, ah, yeah, right. But it's just like being on that second floor. And you haven't smelled the smoke yet. You just hear the proclamation. Downstairs is on fire. You got to get out of here. And you say, that's not important. Yes, it is. There's a kind of faith that Jesus' you know, first followers had that was insufficient faith. And that kind of faith led to ultimate rejection of Christ. 
We have to look back at the previous uh, miracle at the end of chapter 4 to see the setup. I decided to to kind of focus on this subject by going directly to chapter 5, but let's pull from the miracle in chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. He had been uh, at the well with the Samaritan woman. The Samaritans actually believed in him without any miracles. Did you notice that when we were going through the story of the woman at the well? He just told her everything she ever did, which put his finger on her sin, and yet he was talking to her. Yet he reached out to her. He was saying to her, ask of me and I'll give you living water, even when he knew everything she did. And she went and she told the whole town, and they were amazed at her words. Many believed, and then it says uh, that uh, in verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. We know that this man really is the savior of the world. Go back one more verse, in verse 41. They believed because of his words, many more became believers. His miracles? No, his words. He knew their sin, and yet he loved them, and that touched their deepest needs. That's the Samaritans. Then he comes back into Israel, the northern part in Galilee. This is typical of Jerusalem and Galilee. In verse 43, it says, After two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Now, at first notice, this doesn't seem to make sense. Jesus says a prophet has uh, no honor in his own country. And commentators will go all over the place. His own country was, uh, was Nazareth, which was in Galilee. There's no honor uh, in, in Galilee, whereas they honored him in, in Jerusalem. Uh, no, they didn't. They weren't honoring him in Jerusalem. And even more than that, when he gets there, what do they do? They welcome him. It seems to contradict what Jesus was just saying, that no, no prophet is honored in his own country. He's beginning to put his finger on insufficient faith. Why did they believe? They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. If you go back and look at that passage, we won't take the time to do, you'll find Jesus not only cleansed the, t- table, the, the, the temple and turned over the money changers' tables, he did many miraculous signs. He healed the sick down in Jerusalem. This is the second miracle that he did in Galilee. But they had been in Jerusalem. They saw his miracles. So a man comes up to Jesus in, uh, here in Galilee. He's a, a nobleman, a royal official. He's, sometimes people connect this miracle with the centurion, the Roman soldier who had a servant who was ill. But I believe these are two different uh, parables, although they, uh, uh, miracles. Although they have many similarities, there are enough real distinctions to say these are, these are two different things. One, this is the official son. For the centurion, it was uh, a servant. Two, the, and, and more importantly, the Roman centurion said, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. You just say the word and it'll be done. He, had, he brought to Jesus that kind of faith. This man is pleading with Jesus, come to my house and heal my son. That, that, that's a big difference. 
And Jesus' response to the Roman centurion is, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. What does he say in this case? Verse 48, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. He's not just talking about the royal official. He's talking to the whole group. Say, you believe in me because I'm doing miraculous things to solve your here and now problems. That's why you want me. But that's insufficient faith. Because I've come to do something bigger and better and deeper and more everlasting than make you well until you die here and go to hell. It's really what he's saying. He's saying, don't believe just because of the signs. Now, he did the miraculous signs to lead them to place faith in him over the bigger promises. But I ask you this morning, do you come to Jesus just for fixing the problems now? And if he's not, he doesn't seem to be answering your prayers the way you want him to, are you tempted to turn away and think, this isn't working? What isn't working? Is it that your faith is in him for something now and that's not working? Or has he led you all the way to the point of saying, boy, I don't, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your favor at all. But you have sent your son into the world to pay the penalty of my sin. You've made me your child, and I will trust in you no matter what. Is it the faith that Job expressed? We say, though you slay me, yet I will trust you. Your will be done. Because what happens here on earth can be foretastes of heaven when you give blessings. But when there are sufferings, we know those sufferings will one day end, and you will take us into glory forever. Is that the kind of faith? You have. You see, that's the setup here. Jesus is already rebuking the Galileans for having insufficient faith. You, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Well, the royal official just says, come down before my child dies. He's not put off. He's still asking. And Jesus does uh, heal him. He says, your son will live. But he doesn't go to the house. And the man on the way back to his house has the servants come and, and greet him and say, your son's... Your son is well. He said, when? And they pinpointed the hour that was the same time Jesus said, your son will live. And so he and all his household believed because of the miracle. You you think that's the end of just a wonderful good story, but it actually shows their faith was still insufficient. I think many who received miracles from Jesus may have been among the crowd that yet demanded crucify him because he stopped doing things that he had done before. The crowd that was fed, we'll see this in the next chapter, the crowd that was fed uh, the bread and the fishes out in the wilderness, they came and found him again, Jesus didn't feed them again. They end up trying to push him off a cliff. If your faith is insufficient and you're testing God out, then you may come to a point where you say, this isn't working, and you reject. But if it's real, genuine, sincere faith that has conviction of sin and turning to Christ, appreciating what he did for you on the cross, that will grow and grow and grow and lead to life everlasting. That's what's going on in this passage. We've already made all the points. See how it works out in this passage. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, verse 1, for a feast of the Jews. There is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, 
which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. They know where this is. They believe they, they do. And there's a small gate that's associated with sheep coming in, and the sheep get watered at, in these pools. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the, blind, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Then later manuscripts, less important manuscripts, uh, say, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. I don't believe this is in the original gospel. It is describing what uh, the people who came to the pool believed, but I believe it was one of those kind of religious superstitions. The Bible is not saying the angel came down and actually did this. There's ever no, no other kind of miracle like this in the Bible where something is set up like they're magic waters and God does this. It's just really inconsistent. But kind of consistent with human nature that we do tend to develop superstitious things around this. And then think of the implications of this. The idea was when the waters would move, probably there was something mysterious about the movement of waters that there was an underground spring that was intermittent that would sometimes boil up because they could see the wind moving it. That's why it seemed to be magical. And the first one in would be healed. Well, who would the first one in be? The one who least needed it. The one who was still most agile. He was quick. He had a sore back. And the waters went, oh, he's in there. The, the really paralyzed is over here without hope. This is modern Pentecostalism way back then. Now, that doesn't mean that God cannot do miracles. We have had, over the history of our time at Sycamore, many astounding answers to prayer where God said yes. Praise God for that. He can do all his holy will. But there's a difference between that and the gifts that God gave the apostles to do uh, miraculous healings, that, the gifts that Jesus did himself. We're dependent on uh, the Holy Spirit through Jesus, through the apostles. They did the miracles. People gathered on their shady side and were healed. We don't claim that gift. In one year at Sycamore, there, was, there were two women who developed the same kind of cancer. Same kind of description, very small, caught early. One of the women, they all went through the same tests. And one of the women responded to the test in the top 10% of the categories. Just a praise God, praise God. A year later, she was cancer-free. The other one responded in the bottom 10% to every test. She still praised God. And a year later, she was in heaven Boy, I learned something from that. God can do all his holy will. And he can do miraculous things. I look to, I can't go through the list of all the people. that This is a marvelous answer of prayer. But as soon as we say it for one and say, and this is why you should have faith in God, because he can do this. I can start leading you to trust in God because you see the miraculous signs and wonders now. Instead of saying, those are just small signs to lead us to faith, saving faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't say, I'll stay here and help you get into the pool. He didn't answer in the kind of terms that the guy was understanding. He said, Do you want to get well? Interesting question. It revealed the guy had given up. 
I don't think he had to be hardened and cynical and say, no, I don't want to get well anymore. I just get, he, just, he just said, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus didn't correct all of his theology. He didn't say, oh, that's just a superstition. He didn't say, you know, why, does it, why don't you have any friends to help you? He, he didn't go there. He just said, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. We're going to carry this question, do you want to be healed, into next week's Jesus, Jesus uh, uh, argument with the Pharisees. Because their answer is, no, we don't want to be healed. Can you imagine being the Pharisee? Seeing this man that you knew had been in the pool for 38 years. Big number in my life right now. I realize how long it is. I came here 38 years ago at the age of 27. With hair before that Heidelberg Catechism got me. <laughs> it, it's a long time. And they knew he was there. And they see him carrying his mat. What do you think they would say? Wow, what's happened? He said, sir. It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. The Old Testament doesn't. It was the case law that the, the uh, Pharisees has added uh, to the law that forbid him to do that. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. Well, let's give him a break. Uh, perhaps he's just answering in a straightforward way. This is why I'm doing it. He made me well. I'm going to pick up my mat and walk. But he's also a little bit shifting blame, isn't he? It's not my fault I'm carrying the mat. The man. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. Wow. I wonder how many times God has done something really extraordinary for you in your life and you don't even recognize who it was you just enjoy the mat you can carry it now that bill was paid that you got healed whatever it was are you praising god for that recognizing his hand behind it that, this guy it's kind of weird to me that he got up took his mat and walked and he walked away from jesus he wasn't paying attention i think i would have been sticking right by his side but god has given me Faith and a regenerate heart where we love Jesus. Actually, the natural man doesn't do that. It's not the way we're born. We're in it for ourselves. And so he, uh, he, Jesus has slipped away into the crowd. He didn't know. Later, Jesus found him. Jesus followed up. Found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. And here's where we come back to Jesus' sermon. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. wonder how that was received. It doesn't tell us the man's thoughts of Jesus saying that. It does say the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. The snitch. Yeah, again, give him a break. He probably was just, he was happy to be able to walk. Had his mat, didn't understand anything, felt some responsibility to report to the Pharisees, wasn't really trying to get Jesus crucified at this point. It's all too vague for that. But how could he have responded when Jesus said, stop sinning? 
There's something parallel to the beginning of the passage when Jesus said to him, do you want to get well? His response was essentially, of course I do, but I have no hope because I can't do this myself. If all the misguided notions, I can't get into the pool myself. I've lost hope. I can't do this. When Jesus said, stop sinning, he could have said, I can't. I know my heart. I know that I've had all sorts of thoughts about God leaving me in this condition. I know I walked away from you. I I can't stop saying, what what do I do? She said, that's okay. I'll call you. Get well, spiritually. Let go of your mat. Let go of the burden of your sin. I'll pay for it. And you'll be made well forever. The man doesn't tell us what the man said, except that he went and told the Jews. The question is left hanging. It's left hanging before the Pharisees who think they know how to tell people to stop sinning. And Jesus is telling them, no, you're sinning and rejecting me. Where are you in all of this? When you hear that stop sinning, do you say, oh, Lord, I can't. I want to. I can't make up for it. But then do you realize the grace and love of God for you? That this is why Jesus came. To pay for your sin. So that he can say, get up. And follow me. I will lead you to glory and life everlasting. That's the joy of the journey we have. It's the joy of the gospel that we share. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Help us to see when our faith is insufficient, when we trust you only for the here and now, and for, forget what you have done for us for the eternal. Open our eyes if we've never really looked in faith to the Lord Jesus with that conviction of sin, that repentance, that turning from it, to belong to him, to receive him as Savior and Lord. Give us that faith so that we can begin the journey with him that ends in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.